So as we talked about, we're rounding third, heading towards the end of our stewardship time. We've got one more week. Next week is going to be our consecration Sunday. Then we have Christ the King, and then we're on to Advent, the beginning of the new liturgical year. But this week we're going to hone in a little bit more on assumptions. Now, I thought a lot about this this week, about how to start this sermon, which is, for all intents and purposes, the annual nuts and bolts sermon for stewardship. I thought about saying, oh, here it comes, the dreaded stewardship sermon. This is the one you want to put around Halloween because it's extra spooky. No one likes to have the scare of the budget. This is the sermon, this is the Sunday you want to try to tailgate at the Jags game. So you just have a reason to not show up here and on and on and on. It's so easy for us who have to come up here on a Sunday to sort of belittle this Sunday as if it isn't one of the most important, one of the most important of all 52 because, well, it's every Sunday is important. As if, like, somehow this was any different than any other Sunday. It's difficult sometimes because we're asking for money. We feel like we've got to get to know people before we can start discussing it. Now, I will bring up from time to time, and we'll laugh about it, is that Indeed, the second Sunday that I was here, I had to preach this sermon. Well, that's, that is a little weird, because um, I didn't know. I mean, I knew like four of you, right? And so I didn't know how you were going to react, which thank you, by the way, as an aside, for all of you who made mention about us sort of rounding our first year here. And uh, I couldn't be happier. Just want to throw that in there. My wife and I couldn't be happier to be here. Um, I mean, so much so that we're going to go back and do another stewardship uh, sermon, right? But I think if we, if we dismiss this kind of Sunday, if we say, oh, I guess we'll have to trudge through a sermon about money, it, we're missing something. It obscures a truth that we as a church, and I hope that all of us as faithful people are trying to keep together, that... Truly, every time we talk about budgets or finances, it's really just a different lens to talk about our vision of ministry. In the same way that I might talk about a budget, I want to be just as excited as when I talk about all the kids that are running around every Sunday. I want to be as excited about telling you about what your resources are going to go for as I would if I said, listen, all this sort of youth stuff is going on. Because it's the same thing, isn't it? It's just spoken in a different language. Instead of one that I can tell you the stories, I show you the numbers that will support that story. It would almost be like saying to you on a Sunday, well, guys, I hate to tell you, but here's this really awful part of ministry that we do. It would almost be like picking one of our mission partners and say, you know, we really give to like six of them that are great, but we give to the seventh one, and I'm telling you, we regret it every year. It's a bad decision that we give to these folks, but we sort of feel obligated to. You know, if I did that every year when we talked about one out of our seven or eight mission partners, I think we'd stop giving to them. So why would we do any differently if we say, well, I guess we've got to talk about the budget. And then you all are like, well, I guess we got to trudge through it. Maybe you wouldn't want to give. So 
I almost think instead of setting you down a path to talk about treachery and difficulty, maybe we ought to make some different assumptions about a Sunday like this. Because I think if we went with that path, if we said this is the worst Sunday to be here, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it would make texts like the two that we have in front of us today seem like something we'd want to sweep under the rug and hide. Like, oh, do you hear? We're talking about money and we're talking about resources this week. I don't know about that. I don't know why we've got to talk about that in the Bible. Instead, maybe if we go into these texts, we can challenge our conversations about finances and come up with a message that actually cuts through them and what our concerns are about speaking about them. In our Old Testament passage today, we meet Elijah. Elijah is just getting ready to start fighting against his biggest nemesis throughout the book of 1 Kings, King Ahab and Jezebel. This is going to be an exciting time where Elijah is going to be you know, calling down fire onto, onto wet offerings. and it's, I mean, it's a fun part of the Bible to read because you get to see Elijah basically make a fool of a group of people. But right here at the beginning, at the ascendancy of the king, Elijah says, God is going to send a drought and famine for three years. And then God invites Elijah to head towards Zarephath and meet a widow. Now you can understand that the widow is not exactly excited to see Elijah at the outset because, listen, it's sort of like, listen, dude, I don't know who you are, but this is I love sometimes the Hebrew text and how direct it is. It's like, here's what's going to happen, Elijah. It's all well and good. You need food. I'm getting some sticks, and we're going to eat, and we're going to die. That's the end of it, right? And what does Elijah say? I get it. You think you're dying. Things are bad. But you know what? You see that jar of meal, and you see that jar of oil there? God says it's not going to go empty. So, I get it. You think the world's coming to an end? You're just going to eat and die? But maybe God has some other plans. They were understandably fearful for their scarcity. But in the end, they trusted God, and the story invites us to remember that the jars never went empty. There was always food to eat, there was always enough to prepare what was needed. And in that period of drought and famine, the widow and her family were cared for. In Mark, we're also invited to challenge all sorts of assumptions about finances. The scribes that are talked about at the beginning of the passage were supposed to be treated with respect in the marketplace. And those scribes, the best way to describe them here, someone who could read and write. They were the ones in the culture that had truly made it. They were the ones that got their degree, they had a good paying job, and they wore their fancy robes. Sorry. And they had expectations that if they did that good work, they were going to be recognized everywhere that they went. I got my reading and writing degree from Israel University. Thank you very much. I am going to go to the front of the synagogue. Oh, thank you very much. 
And I think that's not so far removed from our culture, right? When you've done well for yourself, when you've got good degrees, I mean, I'm proud of all the education that I have. Sometimes I just want to be acknowledged for the good work that I've done. I feel like I have some privileges that should be bestowed upon me because of my position in life. And Jesus tells us that that's not exactly the best long-term approach if you're thinking about what the judgment may be on the back end. So being the well-to-do, the successful, feeling good about oneself, getting everything maybe is not the most important thing, but then we get further into this text. We note this difference between the money that is given by one group and the money that is given by the widow. And do you notice, and I think this is important right off the cuff, is that this is not a passage that is disdaining wealth. This is something that I think is really important for us as Christians as we try to balance out what does it mean to have resources? What does it mean to give? We've talked about this in the past. God very rarely goes, says, having rich people in the world, having wealth is bad. It's often the consequences of that wealth that cause problems. It's not wrong that there were a group of people that out of their abundance gave more than the widow. That's not a bad thing. But really, it's more about the intentionality, the proportionality, and the trust. And I think the connection here between these two widows ought not to be ignored. I think it's fair to say that both the widow in Mark and the widow in 1 Kings placed their confidence and trust into God and those who were caring for them. Whether it's meal and oil or two cents, these widows said, I will give what I have. And she chose to give what she could, even if it wasn't much on the bottom line. But to Jesus in that moment, it counted more than how many commas there were in the total amount that was given. Could you imagine a world that said, do you know what? I, I realize you were only able to give a couple bucks and there's people here who are giving hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to this. But what you did there is amazing. Your dollar a week when you had no other options, you were, you were unemployed, you didn't know what was going on, but you gave what you could. Wouldn't it be great if those folks were celebrated more than they are? What kind of world would it be like if we raised those folks up and some of the others that we're more prone to. She chose to give what she could, even if it wasn't much on the bottom line, and it counted. And moreover, I think that there must have been thought behind that, just in the same way that the widow at Zarephath said, well, listen, Elijah, it's all well and good. You want some sort of biscuit from us, but I barely got enough. There's process, there's thought, there's intentionality. I can't imagine that the widow sitting in her home before she went to the synagogue didn't open up her pocketbook and say, oh goodness, what do I have left? She sighs and she still goes to the synagogue. Choice, intentionality, 
proportionality trust. Those don't sound like a spreadsheet that you get in the mail as part of a stewardship campaign. Intentionality, proportionality, and trust are not words that we would very often use in a C-suite budget meeting, but here in the church, it provides us a backdrop in which we can have better, more intentional conversations about the money that we are trying to collect together so that we can do good ministry. Because, friends, all of this is not about looking good, but it's about doing good. It's not about the amount that is given, but it's about the intentionality behind it. It's not about stuffing the storehouses, but it's about trusting God. And this one, I think, is worth teasing out a little bit further. Before I came here to Jacksonville, I did some work in leadership with the Presbytery in Ohio. My job was to help churches that were transitioning from, from having a pastor to, to the next pastor, right? I was like an interim helper. And I would work with churches, especially down around the Ohio River, that were these bastions of wealth in the early 1900s. Tens of thousands of square feet of pure early 20th century opulence. I mean, if y'all love this sanctuary, come up to Portsmouth with me sometime. You know, and I would love to walk around those sanctuaries and hear the stories about hidden spaces where the Underground Railroad, like folks who were going through the Underground Railroad, were hidden away because these churches were part of that tradition to bring folks up out of slavery. But now, we've got 25 members these churches. Wouldn't you know it, they've got about five or six or seven million dollars sitting in the bank. And I would plead with these churches, please do something. You've got all the money in the world to do whatever you want. Just do something. You know what I'd hear? I'd hear far too often, well, we're just tired. Well, what do you want us to do? We cannot be a church. No church should have such full storehouses and find themselves falling apart. It's good to have some resources, but when you've got millions of dollars sitting in the storehouse and you're too tired to do ministry, Well, that seems to be as about as sinful as one can get in that circumstance. And so it's not about building the storehouses. It's about trusting God. It's about the convenience of being complacent when we've got too much. But friends, there's a good balance in this world between having jars of meal and oil and having concerns about one's family and stuffing them because we can't seem to trust God enough with what is asked for us to do. So I want to take a minute to actually reflect where we've been and where we're going. In the last year, we did notice a decrease in giving units. Now, for those of you who don't do all of this like church jargon, giving units are like individuals or families or folks. We've usually had about 100, and we've been down in the mid-70s this year. And what that resulted in, and many of you have heard this, is we had a little bit of shock 
in the budget in the last couple years. And to the credit of the session, who worked really hard to try to figure out how to stem the tide of the decline, they were very bold in some of the budget decisions that they made. But it meant things like staff here took cuts of 25 to 30 percent of their annual salaries in order to balance the budget. And credit to every single one of those staff, they still were here, they still showed up, and they still did ministry to care for the wonderful people of this congregation, even with a quarter to a third of less of what they had. Here's the thing, we were able to make our staff whole, but for a while they didn't know what was going on. They still came to serve this church. But here's the gift of this moment, friends. Over time, we as a church, as I started coming here and working with our session, started to realize that there were places where we could be more and more strategic with our budget. Friends, I loved having a $900 a month Cadillac printer. We don't have that anymore. We were able to find one for half that. And I don't know, this looks pretty good. It's legible. We used to have something called a wind buy-down. This was one that Sessions talked a lot about. If there was a hurricane that came through and we needed it, you know, the building fell apart because of a hurricane, we had set aside money in order to buy down the insurance policy so instead of spending $100,000, we'd only spend ten. We purchased that for ten years at $10,000 a year. Do you know there hasn't been a hurricane that big? It's actually been disappointing for me having come here. No, like, real serious hurricane to feel like I survived. You know, over that 10 years, we would have had the money to take care of it ourselves. You know, we don't do that anymore. Because we also trust that if there was a moment when there was a hurricane, I trust the good people of South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church to come together and do the right thing for this sanctuary. Trust intentionality. Now, instead of spending $900 a month for a Cadillac printer and spending $10,000 for a wind buy-down, we're spending curriculum for our youth. We're excited about maybe we should go on a mission trip this year. Did you hear the music this morning? And that's why these budget lines are not just lines, but they tell a better story of who we are and who we're becoming. And yes, I realize, and I was glib about this this morning, that it seems to be that I can't go a week without some member of this community saying blithely how your church must be dying. And if you remember, Almost a year to the day, I said in my first sermon here that I did not take my family 12 to 13 hours away from Ohio to serve a dying church. And friends, I can proudly tell you that I do not serve a dying church. We serve a church that's full of vibrant hope. Have you heard every week session members telling you what's going on? Good things are happening. Good things will happen. And this is the question that I keep posing every time someone would love to tell me, and I think it's like, they like to rag the new guy, like the new pastor, the community's like, oh, 
Who does this Yankee think he is coming down to Florida? Yeah, aren't you part of that dying church? I want to ask, do you just look at death, dear friend? Or do you look at resurrection? Friends, it's easy to look at everything that we've knocked down and consider that we are people of death, but I stand here today and say that instead of considering that we are still sitting in a Good Friday or Holy Saturday, we are moving past that to a bright Easter Sunday that is better than what we've had before. The resurrection does exist, and each one of you every Sunday showing up is living proof of that. And so I will tell them, you know what, if you want to see resurrection, come here on Sunday at 1030. You know where to find us. We're the ones knocking down the buildings. Not hard to find in San Marco. And I would love for each one of you to feel that same sort of frustration and vibrancy about what this church is doing. Be a little annoyed at those folks who want to keep talking death because they don't see resurrection. They don't see an Easter Sunday that is coming and is here. We have to let go of a story that says we are only dying, we are only in decline, there is only so much left, and instead say, in the midst of everything that's going on, we are becoming more than what we thought we could be. And our budget tells that story in numbers, just in the same way that the stories we hear from our session members tell it in narrative form. And so we set our budget this year close to $450,000. And our goal is really simple, 100 at 100. What that would mean is that we'd like to be back to 100 giving units at least. We'd like to fill our budget. That doesn't seem like a crazy ask, 100 at 100. And I worked out the back of napkin math because this is always important. People are like, well, I'm, I'm all sold out to this, Adam, but I don't know what this means. In a practical way, it worked out to be about $85 a week per giving unit. And what that number includes is all of the months of reflection that staff, committees, and session have had. Of all the consideration of who we're becoming and what we could do, we asked ourselves in every area what we wanted to do as a church in the coming year. We researched it, we put time behind it, and we created these numbers. This number helps us reach out into the community. It helps us do new programming. It allows us to put new paint on the exterior of our sanctuary and continue to have a vibrant staff. It provides the resources to be a vital church you've heard about week after week. On the other side, too, it doesn't invite us to go dipping into the funds of the sale because those are designated for something new, in part, the new building, but it's also meant to be the little bit that we keep in the jar of meal and oil, that while we trust God to continue to be a God of abundance, we are not foolish to presume that sometimes things can't get a little rocky. So having a little money set aside, in case like, you know, a hurricane really does come, it means we're safe, it means we persevere, and it means we're sustainable. It means that if there's some new ministry that shows up in three months that we as a church decide we should be part of that, we could be agile and we can actually respond to that ministry. So here's the thing. Some of you today might be like, you know what? 
I can do $85 a week. And I will tell you, it's my commitment every time I've ever been part of a church that I choose, and my family, we choose to give at that median number. So if you want to know what my family will be doing, my giving unit, it'll be $85 a week, which is a little stretch for us right now, but you know what, we're going to do it. Because I feel like I can't ask you to do it if I don't do it myself. There's some of you who look at that $85 a week number and you say, I, I just can't do it then I think you should be rest assured, dear friends, to know just as the widow gave what she could, it's not about the number, but it's about the intentionality. If you pledge for the first time this year and it's only a dollar a week, that's awesome. That's something. That's intentionality. And I would be more excited to celebrate that one dollar a week that had never happened before than all the $85 a week pledges that we may get. Conversely, there may be some of you that look at that $85 a week number and you're like, that, that, that's totally fine, I can, I can do that. Maybe you do that now, maybe you do more than that right now. Then what I'd invite you to consider is what is it like to think about that $85 a week to balance out the person who can't do that in this community? What is it like to anticipate new people coming and you can say with confidence that I am caring for folks who haven't found their way through this door quite yet? What is it like to care for everybody? So maybe you are one of those folks who has been given much and you can walk up here and give large sums of money. My invitation for you is to consider the widow who cannot give much. And as you give more, give with such joy that you are caring for that person who can give so little. Now this week in the mail, like I said, you should be getting this guy. Some of you I know have been looking at it. Awesome. And in there, you're also going to get a pledge card, as we normally do. And this year, we're going to do a self-addressed stamped envelope because, like, that is, if that's the thing that will stop you, we're going to clear that out right away, right? Well, I would bring in my pledge card, but, you know, I don't carry stamps anymore. We got you. We got you. Here's all it says. There's some nice things up front. Ask two questions of you. The first one builds on last week and just simply asks you, what is the thing you love doing so much that you feel God's presence when you do it? Do you know the best way to find out what your talent is? and your time should go to to the church is to find the things that you love so much you feel like it is who you were called to be. That's what we want to see in the church. So that's there. I'd love for you to answer that question. I want to know because I'd love to find that space for you here. And then it's just, what's your pledge? Y'all already know mine. I could just write it in here. But I don't have a pen, so I won't do it. We also ask this question of, are you ready to have South Jacks be part of your legacy plan? What's it like to give beyond your time here in this world and on to the next? We want to help you with that. It's not weird. It's part of life. And then we give you a little bit of details like we do in the, in the guide about, well, where does all this money go? You know, 40 cents of every dollar is going for care of our internal community. All the good things you see over here. Worship, everything. 
20 cents, not just 10 cents of every dollar, not just 10%, but 20 cents of every dollar goes towards outreach in our community. That includes mission, includes telling our story. And the balance goes towards supporting this building, supporting the staff, and making sure like we, we use our Pinto copier well. And again, you have a self-addressed stamped envelope that's on its way. Friends, congratulations, you've made it through another stewardship nuts and bolts sermon. But in the end, here's what I hope you take away from this. That this budget, the stewardship season, this way of doing things, it's all to challenge the assumptions we tell ourselves about the hows and whys of ministry. It would be much easier if we just ate what we could and died, right? Well, we're going to get ours and then we're going to be done, right? That would, that would be so much easier. So much harder to trust that God is not going to let those jars go empty. Let's go deeper this year, friends. Let's see what God has for us on the other side. Thanks be to God.